Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another informative episode of Green Nickel 101, your source for eco-friendly EV nickel discussions. My name is Leo, and I'll be your host today. And with me is John. Hi, everyone. You know what? We got a surprise for you. Like we mentioned last week, our su surprise in the Cracker Jack. <laughs> That's right. We love opening up those uh, surprises, right? Well, this yeah. week we have a special guest, Oyster Steve. Say hi, Steve. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. You know what? Uh, Oyster Steve, how do we get that name, Oyster Steve, uh, nickname there? John, do you have a little well, background Steve, on Steve? Steve? Steve is a fellow nickelhead, okay? And he developed the same affinity for battery metals and, and things of that nature, but it goes deeper than that. So I'm going to pass on to Steve. How, how, did, how did you become a nickelhead, uh, Steve? Well, I was very fortunate. Uh, I had a great family uh, growing up, and my father was a, a tool designer, and uh, he had some great successes, but the best one was uh, a gyro housing for a cruise missile. He awesome. developed the manufacturing process, uh -huh. and I was able, and it, it was made of nickel and cobalt. So I was drilling nickel oh. and cobalt when I was sixteen, and and it, it goes on from there. So awesome. I love the metals. And, awesome, uh, yeah, I love to uh, to learn and to share the news. Awesome, you know what? And I understand you're a big uh, fan of this new EV revolution that's upon us, and how nickel will play a big role. So we'd love to have you here on board and get your perspective and uh, get Share your take on a few things. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. I'm I'm happy to be here. Thank yeah, you. we're happy to have you, Steve. So today's episode will focus on battery wars. You know, lithium iron phosphate versus nickel XX. So you know the nickel sort of combination nickel manganese cobalt nickel, nickel manganese, manganese aluminum, aluminum or nickel manganese blank because right. the, the the industry is trying to move towards reducing the amount of cobalt in the cathode yeah and you know what there's a lot of debate about how the iron phosphate uh configuration has its pros and cons and we're going to compare them with the uh the nc you know the nmc and the nma Con configurations on the and I love our right. heading of the week battery wars battery wars it sounds yeah. kind of exciting it is so. yeah uh, so but before we get started let's quickly recap our previous episode uh, how green is deep ocean mining that was a great episode John awesome loved it we talked about terrestrial versus ocean mining basically you know mining on uh, on the ground on the earth traditional traditional stuff. open pit shaft mining that sort of thing taking the ores out, the minerals out of the ground, putting the ground back in, making it like it really? never happened. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and ocean mining, and we actually define what that is. Apparently, the definition is anything, uh, any type of, you know, mining operations below 200 meters is considered deep ocean mining. Um, and uh, some of the challenges with deep ocean mining with respect to environmental consequences we talked mm -hmm. about. I think we decided that, you know, there wasn't enough, meat on the bone there wasn't enough information precedents you know nothing history. to make us feel comfortable that this is number one a viable investment mm -hmm. and number two that it's not going to cause a cascading impact on our environment you know right. we're exploring what i liked to call in the previous episode really the final frontier because we've explored such a small percentage of the ocean why do we want to start messing around with it and not knowing what the consequence could be yeah and one of the five points that greenpeace left us with uh in the article that we cited was uh there's wonders below that we haven't even discovered yet exactly. so you will never get to discover them if we you know poof they're gone mm -hmm. because of the uh the pollution and, and, and all the other stuff right 
So anyway, but, and uh, this week uh, we're going to be talking about battery wars and let's move on to this week's discussion. What do you say? So um, basically we got an LFP and an M NMC configuration. Yeah, and we can an probably NMA. just explain that quickly. So we're referring to the composition of the cathode and the cathode is what basically holds the energy density in a battery, uh, both being lithium ion type platforms, liquid electrolyte. We're not kind of jumping back into this future uh, solid state technology yet, but we're comparing what the performance of a cathode could be in providing energy density for us. So one chemistry would be iron phosphate, which is your LFP. Mm -hmm. And then the other, which would be the mainstream um, um, cathode chemistry, is your nickel manganese cobalt, sometimes nickel manganese aluminum. But just for the mm -hmm. sake of our discussions here, let's just refer to things as an NMC. Okay. Okay. Well, and let's let's talk about first the pros, the advantages of an LFP battery. So we, you know, in our research, the research I've been doing, and what I've been um, exposed to is durability, long life cycle, low cost, excellent safety. Apparently, they don't uh, get. We don't have as much safety concerns with them overheating and causing. Fires. Allegedly, allegedly, we aren't sure. We're, that's that's the way they're being marketed, but right. there are some some holes in that. These are the that alleged we'll, we'll main advantages moving forward. Right. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that because there's some studies out, and I've, I'm going to cite some articles that uh, you know put some perspective on some of those. And the main disadvantages of LF, LFP batteries are more tolerant to conditions of full charge and is less stressed at higher voltage for a long time. So let's break that down a little bit, John. What does that mean? Well, I think that you, everything about a battery has to be based on energy density. How much energy, how much kilowatt hours can you pack into the smallest space possible? For example, in a vehicle, in an EV, electric vehicle, you can't consume the, you know, a, a percentage of the weight of the vehicle or a larger percentage mm -hmm. of the weight of a vehicle on a battery that is a lower density formula that, that's going to weigh down the car, limit your distance and everything else. So you got to pack as much energy as you can in the smallest, smallest space, space right? possible. Yeah. So that's in EVs. You also have, um, you have uh, power walls in a home. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, when you're talking about space in a building... Well, you're also limited. I mean, if you if you had a at a you know, let's say you have a two thousand square foot home, mm -hmm. you know, you're not going to want want to load up one of your rooms with uh, battery storage to to right. Uh, yeah. So space, so, weight, space, yeah. size. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I will say this: the third segment of what we're talking about here would be stationary storage. Right. Stationary storage, feeding, uh, utility grids, uh, power. Scenarios. So you got a windmill farm, it's powering uh, energy, it's storing it in a battery, let's say. Solar and, panels, but you could also have um, you could also have a, a municipal power grid. You know, Ontario Hydro may have a remote location. Point is as in a those redundant scenarios, resource. Yeah, in mm -hmm. those scenarios, space may not be as much of an issue. Right. Because you can you can have a larger battery. So. I've read that LFPs are more prominent in or have been in the past in those kind of, uh, you know, large storage arrays or yeah. configurations. 
China, though, in recent years has um, trying to push out uh, a cheaper model of car. And for urban driving or short distance, they've been adopting an LFP configuration as well. And I, mm-hmm. I understand Tesla is also to be competitive in that market is also uh, looking at uh, having some of its cars, some of the lower end cars that don't need, you know, four or five hundred, uh, you know, mile ranges or kilometer ranges. They Short only need distance to urban driving. Yeah, yeah. 200, 250. To from work, you know, you're going right. from Etobicoke to downtown Toronto or you're going from. Uh, right. So it's got its place for sure. Now, there's some fallacy here. Before we jumped in, in, into the safety discussion, Steve, we're going to get your two cents in, on this as well. But the other, the other two disadvantages uh, are lower nominal voltage. Apparently, these work at a 3.2 volt as, as opposed to uh, nickel, you know, X uh, configurations that are in a higher voltage. So that's, that's the whole space thing. If you're trying to get more power or more voltage, you need to have more cells, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and that reduces specific energy and also higher self-discharge than other types of lithium-ion batteries, which causes balancing issues with aging. So the LFP configuration uh, apparently has some um, balancing issues as time goes on with the mm-hmm. continuing charging-discharging cycles. Right? So, Oyster Steve, what's your perspective yeah, I mean, on... I think the, uh, yeah. On lithium, uh, on uh, iron phosphate versus... Uh, so, yeah, iron phosphate. So what do you think of some of those things that we were talking about, the advantages and disadvantages? Well, yeah, the first thing I'd like to, to, to comment on is, is, is back to the, to the storage, if we can just uh, isolate that topic. Um, if you look at the situation recently in Houston where they had the massive power outages and in, in, the, in the same time frame, they were in the process of creating a large... Uh, battery storage mm-hmm. to avoid this situation. And I think if we all drive down the highway, we can see these storage where everyone wants to store their stuff and everything like that. I think in the future, you'll see those as, uh, there'll be an equivalent of those, there'll be battery uh, land storage so that if a grid does go down, uh, there's good. So, some redundancy, you know, they're, some they're backup. Correct. Yeah, so you've got that backup. And I think that's going to be relevant in in, um, in government and in, in corporations and in, and, and in public uh the municipal facilities. So that's where uh, so you I see the LFP application. It's a home run, for sure. Uh, going back on what I've been studying, which is quite quite a lot, uh, you know, if you're going to have uh, clean energy specifically from the mining business, you, you know, the iron phosphate battery isn't going to cut it. Um, you know, in, in, in public transit, uh, in, in, in moving things around. I, iron phosphate's great for the granny mobile. One thing uh, we haven't and, discussed, you know, Steve, sorry, is, uh, is yeah. uh, that, that we haven't even talked about what will constitute the biggest segment of the transportation industry, which isn't personal use vehicles. It's actually semi-trucks, transportation, where range is going to be hugely important. Whether it's Tesla's new semi that's coming out and, you know, all these, if anyone's driven down any major highway, you see how many transportation vehicles are out Mm -hmm. there. Those vehicles, impossible for them to survive on an iron phosphate chemistry or cathode. They're going to have to pack as much nickel as possible to create that energy density and create that range so that they can... I, in I the get, terms of uh, I, the old Smokey and the Bandit move, yeah. movie, when he was ter- carrying that load of of beer from uh, I think it was California over to, county lines, yeah. there. 
You yeah. can't rely on Omaha. a battery that that's going to die because guess what? Sheriff Buford T. Justice is going to be right on your ass. And Golly. You're be done. Yeah. You know what? That would be like hilariously funny having a transport truck where instead of you know, hauling cargo, it's hauling half of its trailer of batteries, you know, so counterproductive, counterproductive. It's not very efficient. Yeah. Um, you know what? Let's let's jump into the safety side. Like, like, let's talk about that safety component. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So apparently, you know, the consensus is these LFP batteries, iron phosphate are more safe because uh, they don't catch fires often or whatever. I'm, I'm oversimplifying this. And there have been some you know, from all the uh, all the major uh, manufacturers out there like GE, whatever, and even Tesla on the news, you see like a car, you know, burning in the middle of a highway and it had a, a nickel, um, you know, X configuration battery. Um, are LFP batteries really safer than high nickel batteries? And you know what? I'm just citing a uh, from the Korea Herald. There's a great article here. They've put it into perspective. Guys, you can read this in our bio um, we're going to be uh, showcasing and talking about some uh, articles and blogs. But, Steve, over to you. LFP batteries, safer or not as safe? Or what's the story? Are, is the, are nickel batteries really unsafe? Well, I, I think you go back to the, the airline story where there was a certain uh, uh, phone, a cell phone, where they, uh, they didn't want them on the airplanes because they were overheating. So I think that's... Uh, that's a technology issue that I think is being corrected. Mm-hmm. Uh, ultimately, I, if you look at the numbers, I don't think that uh, that a lithium iron battery uh, is uh, at a, at a higher risk than any battery to overheat. Yeah, you know what? This article actually says exactly that. Don't blame nickel um, because it's not the nickel, you know, manganese part that catches fire. It's the actual electrolytes and the technology in the cell structure. John, you're too sorry. I would concur with Steve on this point here that, that first of all, let's establish that there's a very small percentage of batteries in vehicles or otherwise that ignite due to what we call thermal runaway, where the battery overheats. And whether you're in a nickel environment in your cathode or an iron phosphate uh, chemistry, they both have the same potential to have thermal runaway. Thermal runaway is created by, uh, there's basically a separator between the anode and the cathode, mm-hmm. okay? And the, the separator prevents the currents from short-circuiting. Mm-hmm. But through the life of a battery, there are uh, these, these this a chemical reaction in the whole chemistry of the battery. And we're not going to get into it right now because you'd have to be, you know, it's, it's very technical, but you know, you have, you have these things called dendrites that are formed. Mm -hmm. Okay. A dendrite would almost be like if anyone's ever gone into a cave and they've looked up or looked down, you have stalactites, stalagmites, right? And they crystallization. Correct. They're constantly growing. Mm -hmm. So what ends up happening is is these dendrites have the potential to form and pierce through the separator Mm -hmm. and cause the battery to short circuit, cause thermal runaway, and potentially uh, overheating and fire. Very rare, very rare to happen. But I would say that it can happen in either the, the either either chemistry. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that. The article further go, goes on to explain LFP risks. So LFP, you know, iron phosphate batteries are not exempt from thermal runaway as they share the same structure as lithium ion batteries. 
So anodes and cathodes are located on each side and both kinds of batteries are filled with a flammable electrolyte solution. So the problem here is more the electrolyte solution that can catch on fire. And uh, the reason why I think nickel gets a bad rap is because of once you have a fire, yeah, well, nickel is very efficient at uh, providing, you know, all that packed energy in that metal will just uh, be part of the fire process at that stage. Yeah, and maybe be, there's more it, energy. There could be more of a significant, yeah, as oh, this energy is released, right. there could be more of a significant uh, Right, and that's where I think it's combustion. getting, yeah, unfairly, I think that's where it's getting yeah. a bad rap. Bad rap, I agree. Yeah, but you know yeah. what? You know, at the end of the day, you got, uh, we got, uh, you know, iron phosphate. It's got pros and cons. We have nickel that has its pros and cons. Nickel, at the end of the day, you know, when we're talking about energy density, is the king of the castle, right? So I'm looking for a long-range battery. I want a very consistent battery that packs tightly, maybe less weight into a vehicle so I can get better performance out of it. And, you know, I think that's the way to go. An NM or an N, you know, MA, NMC type of configuration. Maybe one day it'll just be an N configuration. I have no idea. But uh, I'm happy to hear well, the that. Beauty of, the beauty of technology, and we've talked about this in the past, is technology is forward looking. And all of these technologies are developing. And all of these little flaws, and they're minor, that are existing in, in this great new technology that we're exploring here, uh, energy storage, uh, EV battery, mm -hmm. et cetera. These, you know, give it time and these little flaws in the system will be corrected and it will be in short order, in my opinion. Awesome. Could I add something there? Alex? Absolutely, Steve. So what I think one of the concerns is the surrounding materials. So if you have um, uh, something that's encased and it's heating up inside, uh, I think that, uh, the, the, the people that are smarter than all of us uh, know this, and so that's you know that's that's where I would be as from an engineering standpoint. Be what's the surrounding material, mm -hmm. and was that a concern, and how can we, uh, as manufacturers, improve that? And I think that's important to note. Like, and you're like you're you bang said, on, it, you're it, bang it, on, it, Steve, because uh, everybody we talked about this in the past that the natural evolution to lithium ion technology, which utilizes liquid electrolytes which is the environment that you're talking about the next step will be so, uh, solid, solid state, state which will eliminate that problem right so, so a solid state nickel configuration would be a lot you know you, you have less concern about we the call that the holy grail the Leo. holy grail. it's the home run right <laughs> and we're that happy. could be the surprise in the cracker jack box i don't know <laughs> oh, that could be our next surprise yeah oh. when we announce uh yeah, yeah exactly so um well great you know what i think we had a great discussion here um and by the way john you know what you know what time it is Oh, it's, we have a drum roll. It's it's time of our it's time for our spotlight. Awesome. This week's spotlight has been brought to you by Tardison Nickel. Tardison is advancing its high-grade nickel sulfide project in Ontario. Class 1 nickel, an essential component in battery production. The Kinbridge nickel deposit is heading toward a production decision. Expanding a resource in an environmentally safe and efficient way. Tardison Nickel. TN on the CSE. Well, great. Welcome to our spotlight. So our spotlight this week is Tardison Nickel launching a 10,000 meter drill program at the Kenbridge Project in Ontario. Uh, John, you want to start, start this one off? Well, I, I think this is an interesting spotlight because one of the things we've been talking about through uh, the evolution of our podcasts here is 
is that there is an impending supply gap, a forthcoming supply gap that's forming. As this technology starts to, to explode, being battery storage, whether it be EVs, uh, power walls in your home, stationary storage for utility, et cetera, mm -hmm. um, demand typically is able to respond quicker than supply. Mm -hmm. To get a mine going or to, to address supply in this environment takes up an extended period of time. There's lots of hurdles you have to cross to actually get into production. So... Uh, this this supply gap that's forming has to be uh, filled or addressed or contributed to by uh, a lot of these new up and coming prospective companies that are in the EV that are in the battery metal space, and we uh, right here have decided to focus on one company in particular that we think is exciting and. Uh, uh, and by the way, full disclosure here, ladies and gentlemen. Look, we're not investment advisors. We're not here to provide invest investment advice. Do your own due diligence. Yeah. Uh, we're but, just we're exploring the, yeah. the the concept and looking for opportunities that are of interest to us and, and also potentially investment yeah. opportunities. And let me add a little bit of background. So Tardison Nickel is a junior mining uh, operation up uh, in northern Ontario, north Kenora, uh, Kenora, near, Kenora, near Kenora. And they have a nickel property. It's not just nickel, by the way. There's nickel there, manganese, cobalt, copper, and no, a few was, other and, things. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, now they've done a drill program years ago, and this is a second drill program that they're going to do yeah, on top of. They're building on the historical data right. uh, from the original PEA. Right. Preliminary. And this time, though, they're going 10,000 meters. So they're going deeper. And apparently they do have two rigs. I was just reading here. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the article, the guys, again, in our bio from ProactiveInvestors.com, Tardis and Nickel um, launching their big 10,000 meter drill program. They have two rigs on site, just started uh, early July. And they're looking to have this thing completed by third quarter 2021. I can't wait to hear the results specifically for one reason. You know, I, I actually happen to own some of the stock. I like the stock, right? Mm -hmm. I own different stocks all over the place. But this particular well, one. Well, we're nickel heads. Leo, well, so. yeah, I'm looking for nickel plays for sure. But this one here um, I'm interested in simply because there was always this North Kenbridge um, property that they also have staked out. But they've never done drilling in there till now. Mm -hmm. And uh, all the electro, uh, what do they call that? Mag magnet. Well, uh, the geophysics. The and geophysics the, uh, showed some yeah. great like stuff under the ground from the magnetic. Uh, what is that called there, John? Help me out there. Induced. The, induced polarization, where they send electrical currents in the ground to try and test conductivity without drilling. And, right. And there's some <laughs> speculation based on what I, what I've read and some of the blogs that I've read that these deposits could be connected at depth. At depth. Okay. And if that were the case, that would be quite a, an interesting... It'd be like a big depth. U kind of thing, going all the way down and then coming back up. Yeah, well, what, what happens with these deposits is they, 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 you know, as the earth is formed and as all of these things are happening, uh, these, these metals percolate up to the surface in what would be called like a vent, a mm -hmm. vent similar to a volcanic activity or something of that nature. But when you take these vents, which almost look like carrots, right, going down mm -hmm. to the ground, many times they're connected at depth. Right. Yeah, the electromagnetic targets, I guess that's the word. Yeah. And when I saw the photographs or the graphs showing the electromagnetic results, it was like all lit up full different colors. So I'm very interested to see because these plans also plan for additional drilling at the Kenbridge North location. 
Yeah, from um, what I understand, there's about $5 million worth of drilling that's going to take place between, I believe it started as of July 1st, up through up until, I guess, Thanksgiving. And yeah. uh, we'll see what happens. So, Steve, what say you? Uh, I love the stock. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'll just disclose that I, uh, I own a, several uh, juniors and uh, love the story. Uh, love Tartazan. I'm a shareholder. Uh, I follow it. And uh, I think that the, the management and the support and how far they've come is excellent. And uh, you must be elated just like the rest of us nickelheads on this drill program then. Here, yeah, here's what ahead, I now. like, Steve, about, and again, we, we all love the space. We love the battery metal space. We love the, the Canadian mining sector. And I feel like uh, as, a, as a mining, a junior mining investor, the, the, the wind is in our sails, okay? I mean, we've mm-hmm. got all the pieces of the puzzle seem to have fallen into place, okay? And there are a number of great companies out there. Um, uh, you know, we've talked about the fact that, that we like nickel sulfide deposits over laterite deposits. Right. So Tardisan has that going Check for Checkbox, yeah. yeah. Uh, what else I like about it is uh, I talked to a geologist not too long ago, and he named three projects out there that he thought were of merit moving forward because mm-hmm. of not be- I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there could be environmental issues and all these other things going on. So we're not looking at that. We're just looking mm-hmm. purely at the deposit. Mm-hmm. And that's what geologists do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, they liked uh, Noront, which is up in the Ring of Fire in Ontario. They like Talon, which is their Tamarack deposit, which is in the U.S., although there are some potentially environmental issues there, I'm not sure. And they liked the Kenbridge deposit, which uh, Tartazan owns. So I jokingly said to this, uh, this geologist, I said, so if I'm heading to the Olympics and you're <laughs> guaranteeing me a bronze, would I be happy? Absolutely, I would. <laughs> right. So, and then yeah. the, the finally, what I what I do like about about Tartazan is is their market capitalization. They haven't taken this big run up like a Canada Nickel has, for example. Mm-hmm. Canada Nickel went from, you know, plus or minus fifty cents up to plus or minus three fifty. So, I think there's given this drill program that's going on. There's a lot of uh, um, there's a lot of potential moving forward. Mm-hmm. And as an investor, again, investments are about risk reward, Mm -hmm. risk reward. Okay, Uh, and the best time to buy a stock, I think, is pre-drill program, and the worst time to sell a stock is when the news come out. (laughs) Oh yeah, we want the excitement of it. So, so from a timing point of view, I think certainly it's it's a good opportunity. Awesome. But again, do your due diligence. Absolutely. Talk to your financial advisor, and um, yeah. Uh, Take a shot. You know what? With that being said, we've reached the end of the show. Um, Thanks for joining us, everybody. And we hope to see you next week when we go deeper. We're actually going to talk about junior nickel mining comparisons and get a little bit deeper in that discussion. Um, Don't miss it. And let us know what's on your mind. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle's at GreenNickel101. We'll answer any questions in our next episode. So be sure to leave your comments and opinions and questions. And remember, we upload new episodes every single Monday. And until next time, think nickel and have a green day. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining us. And I'd also like to thank Steve for adding his perspective in this week's episode. Thanks, Absolutely. Steve. And we are hoping to have uh, Oyster Steve back again. So stay tuned, everybody. Hey, thank you. Thanks so much, guys. It was great to be here. Thank you. Tardis and Nickel traded on the Canadian Stock Exchange, symbol TN, or over the counter, symbol TTSRF. Thank you.